Welcome to this week's episode of the Founder and the Force Multiplier podcast, where we explore how founders and leaders work together with their right-hand partners to turn ideas into action and build wildly successful businesses. Today, I'm speaking with Clara Ma. Clara is the founder and CEO of Ask Chief of Staff and has years of experience helping chiefs of staff and other force multipliers with career development, career planning, matching with the right leader, finding their next role, and much more. Clara spent the first years of her career at a technical recruiting firm, placing engineer talent at early stage startups like Warby Parker, Dollar Shave Club, and Bonobos. She then worked at AngelList helping startups hire technical talent and placing over 50 plus candidates at other early stage companies. Most recently, Clara has been cultivating a community of over 500 aspiring and current chiefs of staff through mentoring, providing resources, and finding their next opportunities. This was an in-depth conversation about all things chief of staff. Clara was so kind to answer all of my questions, and who better to ask those questions to than the founder of Ask a Chief of Staff. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I think you will, then be sure to let us know in all the usual places, such as leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this episode. Great. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. <laughs> Me too. I'm excited to be here. Uh, good morning or afternoon, depending on where you are. <laughs> yes. um, yeah, I... I have, I have all the questions about the chief of staff role um, that I'm so excited to be able to spend some time with you today talking about. Um, so if you're ready, we're, I, I'd love to just jump right in. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, cool. Um, I always like to start off with a fun question or fun-ish question. What is the product or brand that you are most loyal to um, and that you recommend to all your friends? Yeah, this is the question that I actually found the hardest to answer because I have definitely like I like to try a bunch of different things. But what I ended up going with is the Lishterm or Mulkin bullet journal. It's like the dotted grid one. I'm still very much a pen and paper kind of girl. So I like live and die by by these. I don't know if you can see it, but they like, yes. have these really amazing like dot grids on the inside that you can like plan your entire life in. So whenever people are like, oh, how can I get more organized? Or, you know, I really want to journal more or things like that. I always recommend either a moleskin or a lace germ, like each, either one, they're, they're really great quality. That's awesome. I too am a paper and pen kind of person. This is, you know, I'm literally <laughs> taking notes right now as we talk. Um, that's awesome. So um, Clara, you started um, Ask a Chief of Staff. I don't remember the exact date, but maybe six months ago or so, is that accurate? Yeah, in October. So a little over four months ago, four and a half now, I guess. Yeah, that's awesome. So for some of our listeners who aren't familiar with Ask a Chief of Staff, could you give us a brief history of how you started the company um, and, and kind of what you're working on now? Yeah, absolutely. So Ask a Chief of Staff is a chief of staff placement and recruiting business. I talk to lots and lots of different aspiring chiefs of staff or even current chiefs of staff who are looking for their next chief of staff role and connect them with executives, founders, CEOs who are looking for that right-hand person to join their team. Um, and you were a chief of staff at, earlier in your career. Um, so give us a little history of that. Yeah, so I was a chief of staff at a Series A startup. Uh, the start date for that chief of staff role was February 2020. So right before everything shut down and we all had to go from being in person at an office to fully remote. So that was a big 
wrinkle that I did not expect in my chief of staff role. And as I grew within that company, we were series A when I started, we did raise our series B while I was there. So I got to see the entire process kind of leading up to that change and also all the changes that were happening within. Um, I always liken my chief of staff tenure very much as a catch-all operations person. We didn't have a COO at my company. And so anything that was non-technical was pretty much split between my CEO and myself. So we had this very much much like work in parallel type approach to the force multiplier or chief of staff role. Um, I was there for a little over a year. And at, after that time, the chief of staff role had changed quite a lot and the company had changed as well. And I realized how much the chief of staff role had really impacted my career. It was truly one of the most transformational roles I've ever taken on. And I just remember how hard it was to get started, especially with the pandemic. And so I had spent a lot of time reaching out to other chiefs of staff on LinkedIn, trying to pick their brains trying to see, am I doing things right? Am I, you know, thinking about this role in the same way that other people are and really built this community around myself. And so wanted to take that to the next level, which is where I joined on deck. And Hallie, I think that's where you and I met, where I was building out a community of chiefs of staff. So I think that community grew to over 400 while I was the program director there. It was really the space where we could share resources, share stories of, you know, obstacles that we were going through and have this brain trust around ourselves to really help help navigate this kind of ambiguous and kind of complicated role at times. And after my time at OnDeck, decided that I wanted to continue to work in the space. But a lot of the questions I was getting externally were, how do I find a role? How do I get connected to the right principal? How do I know this is the right place for me? And so I decided to really lean into this recruiting aspect, which is my background from many, many years ago, and now focus directly in the chief of staff space. Yeah, that that is so cool. I was I was going to ask you, you know, what really made you take that final leap to start your I mean, because you were working with on deck for a, a couple, at least a year, not longer. Mm-hmm. Um, so what made you take that final leap to really uh, become an entrepreneur, become your own you know, founder and go start your own, own business? Yeah, I would say it was definitely. Um, a lot of different circumstances played into it. On Deck themselves went through a pretty large transition in terms of what they wanted their product to be. So the chief of staff community was something that was going to be sunset at the end of the year last year, um, while I was still advising and working with them. And so, you know, it kind of gave me this opportunity to really think about what I wanted to do next. And I considered a whole host of different things. One was actually going back into a chief of staff role. So thinking about, was there another principal that I would like to serve, another executive or team that I wanted to be on to take all the things that I've learned after speaking with hundreds of chiefs of staff now and apply those in some setting. Um, another was you know continuing to build in the community space, whether it was in a chief of staff realm or just in community in general, I really loved being what I call like the switchboard operator of that community, connecting people with each other, having folks share their problems and finding a way to help them solve them, whether it was introducing them to somebody new or even doing a quick Google to get them started in the right areas. And then the other one was always being a founder or being an entrepreneur was always something that I wanted to do, but I just never really knew what the problem I wanted to solve was. And I think one of my limiting beliefs for a very long time was that in order to be a founder, you had to have some sort of uber idea. You had to have like this idea that had to become a billion dollar or unicorn company. And that really stopped me for a long time because I just couldn't think of a problem that I was well positioned to solve. And so when I had a little bit of this time after on deck and realizing that my passion really 
still lay in the chief of staff space. And I was able to combine some of my previous career experience as a recruiter, as working in people operations for a lot of the startups that I was at, and now kind of coupled with this expertise in the chief of staff realm, I figured, hey, why don't I give this a shot and see if it could be more of a services type company, you know, really start to um, take all the knowledge that I know about the chief of staff and principal relationship and see if I could help startups and help people who wanted to step into the role really make that right match. Because as I'm sure many people know and many chiefs of staff themselves, it's a really hard matching process that's unlike any other. And so having some insight, having been in the role before really helped me really understand what founders were looking for, as well as on the candidate side, on the chief of staff side, understand what it is that their strengths and weaknesses are so I could make that right pairing. Yeah, that that's that's amazing, and I I um, know that your mission, I believe, if I, if I read everything correctly, is to find that chief of staff for every executive. Um, mm-hmm. Why do you, why is that the problem that you chose to solve, and why do you think that is so? Um, why is that so important to you and to executives in general? So I think there are so many articles out there about why having a chief of staff or a right hand person for an executive is so impactful. I think that if you're really able to find the right person that you can rely and trust heavily on as a CEO, as a founder, the output that you're able to generate is 10x. And I know that that's something that you say a lot too, right? As a force multiplier, you're really force multiplying your principle. And even though that's the case, a lot of executives still have not put in the time to find a chief of staff. It sounds like many of them are like, oh, that's a nice to have, but they're 500 other things that I need to get done before I hire this person. When in reality, once you hire this person, those 500 things suddenly become 50, suddenly become five. And so I think there's a lot of education that is still happening in this space. And I'm sure you've seen the chief of staff role has really like skyrocketed in terms of popularity. There's, you know, 28,000 jobs on LinkedIn that are all chief of staff related. And within two hours of that job going up, there are hundreds of applicants. And so there's definitely something there in terms of the role being necessary and wanted, but there's still not a lot of literature on how to be a good chief of staff or you know, what makes a good chief of staff to a specific principal. There's a lot of, well, it depends you know, on the person, on the stage of company, but I think there are some overarching threads that I've seen with chief of staff candidates that end up succeeding in the role and really taking the role forward. And so I I decided to focus on this problem because I feel like I was uniquely positioned to do so. I had gone through it myself. I knew that the matching process was hard. I learned a lot throughout my time there. And after talking to hundreds of chiefs of staff, I still realized that there was a pretty big gap in the market where people were still falling into the role or kind of accidentally finding themselves in the role and wanted to make it a much more intentional transition for people who are interested in it so that you're better set up for success as opposed to kind of blindly feeling your way through it. Yeah, there's uh, there's so much I want to dig into here. Um, so you mentioned these common threads that you see, because you're right, I say it sometimes too, other people say it that I hear. It's like, well, it does depend, but but there are some common Um, common denominators that make a successful chief of staff. What have you found to be some of those common threads? Yeah, so the the first one is kind of this people aspect, right? I always say that the chief of staff role over any hard skill that you can have is a people role. And so you really have to be good 
at understanding people and kind of reading between the lines a lot of time, reading people's expressions, and also being able to build these relationships and kind of have this high trust mentality about yourself. Um, one analogy that I really love that I've heard from Michael Sheets, who is a former chief of staff, is that when you're at a wedding and the bride comes down the aisle, everybody is looking at the bride, but the chief of staff is looking at everybody else's expressions. And mm -hmm. I felt like that was such an incredible way to capture the kind of um, environment that a chief of staff really thrives in is that, yes, obviously everybody's going to be paying attention to the big thing, the big spectacle, but it's your job to really kind of read the room and see, okay, what is the expression that everybody is wearing on their face when they're looking at that thing? You know, is it one of fear? Is it one of concern? Or is it just general jubilation? And you can really use that to help continue to guide um, your principle when it comes to decision making further on. So being a people person, I think is really number one. Number two is kind of meticulous organization and project management. There's a million and five things that you're going to be asked to do and tasked to do. And it's really about figuring out how to keep a lot of those plates spinning all at the same time and you know figuring out this glass ball and rubber ball analogy right some things you can't drop and other things it'll be okay and they'll bounce back but you need to be able to figure out like what the prioritization is and project management really comes into that then the third thing I'll say is really kind of being the voice of reason but I like to say it's like you kind of have two brains one is your principal's brain so are you able to come to the same decisions as your principal about 80% of the time? You're able to get to the same endpoint using the thought processes that you now know they are using uh, because you have built up trust and time and time spent with that person. And the other 20% is really tackling it from your perspective and saying, okay, if I was in charge, how might I think about this? And when is the right time to surface that perspective to your principal? Because you have this knowledge of the organization, because you have this 10,000 foot view, while you're also pairing that with the, in the weeds, you kind of have a little bit more context that's very different from anybody else in the organization. And you need to know when to bring that into play. Mm, I, yeah, I am so on board with those three. And, you know, I think oftentimes, and I know I probably miss this, but I love that your, your emphasis on the people part of it. Um, it's like, that is the most important part, but sometimes like we brush over the, the fact that it's actually a very people oriented role and we need to be paying attention, mm -hmm. um, to, to everyone, not just our principal, but to everyone else in the organization so that we can share that information up, share the information down, and also just be taking a constant pulse on, on the organization or, or clients or investors, et cetera. Um, okay. <laughs> Literally, I have so many questions for you. So <laughs> what, um, you mentioned a little bit about the, the role being super popular right now and the 28,000, mm -hmm. you know, job ads, I'm seeing the same thing. I'm sure many people who are going to be listening to this are seeing the same thing too. Do you feel like it is a trend? Is it specific? Do you know, do, do we, do you think we're going to continue to see this popularity? Do you think it's a trend? Where do you think this chief of staff role is going? I think we're going to continue seeing it. And the reason I say that one is because obviously if it doesn't, then I'm in trouble, right? <laughs> my business is in trouble. But I also think that the reason I was able to start my business at the time it is, uh, that the time it is right now is because of this growing um, acceptance of the generalist being a career path. Mm -hmm. And so I, I look back to October of last year, right, when I first started this company. And I was pretty trepidatious about doing it because there are a lot of layoffs happening. There still are a lot of layoffs happening in February of 2023. So it's not like that is going away anytime soon. But if you take a look at the layoffs that are happening, you're seeing a lot of specialists being let go, right? 
specifically in sales or marketing or even recruiters in general, a lot of these kind of individual niche roles that are specialized in a particular function are the ones that are being cut. And instead, what's happening are that people are looking for these generalists who can kind of fill multiple gaps and multiple functions to take on some of this, at least in the interim before you know the economy hopefully comes back and, and everything comes kind of comes back on the upswing. So all that to say is that I think the chief of staff role, it's gone by a lot of different names in the past. It's not like it hasn't existed. It's just the chief of staff title is now the most popular one in existence. And I liken it a lot to product managers like 10 or 15 years ago, where there were project managers, there were people who were in product, but not necessarily engineers. There are a lot of designers making the leap into product management as well. But the title of product manager didn't really kind of come into play until about 10, 15 years ago. And now there are books and philosophies and entire businesses built around the product management role. And I kind of see that same exact trend happening for chiefs of staff is that we're still very much in the nascent stages. Yes, the chief of staff role has existed in like ancient Roman Greece as the right hand person to a lot of these rulers and through the military and through the government, this role has also existed as well. But within this kind of like corporate or tech structure that we're seeing, we're just kind of at the very beginning stages. And so there's still a lot to be learned and a lot of best practices being put into play, but it is becoming more common vernacular around people who are looking to stay more wide as opposed to specializing. And I think that was something that, you know, I wish I had had 10 years ago when I first started out in my career was that very early on, I was told that you had to pick a lane and now I don't have to, like there are so many things that you can do as a chief of staff that are going to continue to grow you as um, a careerist. And it doesn't have to just be this kind of niche, one thing, one lane type uh, career path anymore. Um, what do you think were some of the, like you, men you mentioned, and I agree that um, the kind of the chief of staff role existed even before the title became so popular. What were some of the common kind of common positions or titles that you saw that are really operating in a chief of staff function? Yeah, so you've, you've probably seen a lot of like operations managers or head of operations. That's a very common one. Um, biz ops is another one that I've seen a lot of, or maybe even a business lead. Even strategy and partnerships is technically considered a chief of staff role at some companies because what are you doing as a chief of staff, but strategy and then like partnerships outside externally with clients or even internally. So strategy and operations is another title I've seen. So any of those roles where it can mean a lot of different things depending, right? Operations at a startup can be very different from operations at a logistics shipping company, but somehow that title still gets used in both capacities. And I think like now you're seeing this chief of staff role that may be better suited to somebody who's in quote, quote, operations at a startup. And so there's a kind of changing vocabulary that happens, I think, in, in all industries that it starts to become a little bit tighter. It starts to be a little bit more defined. Um, and hopefully that's something that we continue to see so that everybody knows like, okay, when I see chief of staff, it means this. And when I see operations, it means something else. Um, but I think that is still, you know, I would say a couple of years down the line before it's all completely standardized. Yeah, for sure. Um, so what are your thoughts on, and I'm just going to kind of say it's a, this is a spectrum, right? Where we've got maybe strategy and operations, we've got the chief of staff, and um, we also have the executive assistant role. Mm -hmm. Give me your thoughts on where the EA role fits into this, this spectrum with, along with the chief of staff role. Do you see, you know, where are the similarities and where and how do you really define the differences between those two roles? Or does it even come up in your work at all? 
It absolutely does. And I think that that is something that is still a little bit fuzzy at times. But what I like to say is that I know that there's been a very common spectrum used out there and I like to like give my spicy take on it and let's say like, let's stop using the spectrum, but a chief of staff can be anywhere from an EA plus to a COO like, right? I think many of us have heard that before. And I think that that particular spectrum does disservice to EAs and it does, it makes the chief of staff role very confusing. An EA is an extremely strong business partner to an executive and to a founder and to a CEO because of their administrative and tactical nature. A chief of staff, on the other hand, I like to think of as more of a strategic partner overall. And yes, will you do some stuff that, is there an overlap between the two on occasion? Yes. But I think the best founder offices or offices of the CEO have both of these players in the office at the same time. And they're able to, similar to what a chief of staff does, which is take a lot of those um, projects off of a founder's plate. An EA can take a lot off of a chief staff plate so that you are able to really both function at the highest levels of what your role can truly demand of you. So um, that being said, the EA to chief of staff transition is one that I've seen a lot of, and that is usually because an EA may look to grow into more of the strategic nuances of a chief of staff. And I think that is a very common and can be a very impactful transition for somebody who is an EA. But that being said, there are also EA tracks that continue to grow upward as well, right? You can be a senior EA to start managing other EAs within the org. You can become, I've heard the title, executive business partner, um, where you are really starting to take on more of the office, you know, as opposed to just your CEO's office. And so I think that this is part of the like um, vocabulary and the words that we're using to describe is that when we are throwing in things like chief of staff and EA in the same kind of subject matter, that's what makes it confusing for people to talk uh, about the chief of staff role and say, oh, well, aren't you just a glorified assistant? Like, absolutely not. I think if you are truly doing your chief of staff role as it is uh, meant to be, administrative stuff should be a very, very, very small percentage of the overall work that you're doing. And again, it's a disservice to the EA position, which is very important it's in its own right and serves a different purpose than a chief of staff. Yeah, um, I could not agree more. And and I and I will say a lot of the work that we do while we do say both role, we we kind of use the term force multiplier to talk about both roles because I do believe that they both EA and chief of staff are very much force multipliers. Mm-hmm. I could not agree more that they are both very distinct positions that are both highly um, important and impactful for the overall um, flow and success of an executive office. Um, and and that they're both really great career paths and that they, you know, require slightly different maybe behavioral profiles of the individual and slightly different um, career goals and and all those things. Well, again, their, their mission is to support that principle and the mission is to, to support the company, but they do it in, in very different ways, um, in my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay. So we, yeah, we talked about that, uh, the, that kind of EA chief of staff. Now, are there different levels of chief, the chief of staff role as well? I would think so. I think that it comes with uh, time and career experience. And also it will depend on the stage of the company, right? When you're earlier stage, um, let's say seed or series A, the amount of 
funding and budget you have is going to be much less than a very late stage series D or plus company, right? And so what that usually means is that you're going to look for a slightly different profile and that is going to serve your organization a little bit better. So I always go back to, you know, my time as a series A chief of staff, I was probably, let's see, about six or seven years out of school. So, you know, a mid-stage-ish, let's say in my career, but I definitely had not sat at a lot of decision-making tables before. You know, it was my first time working with an executive team in this kind of capacity. And so I still had a ton of learning to do. Not only that, but the startup I was at was so early stage that we still had a lot of operational stuff that was not put into place yet. So the example I like to use is on my second day there, I had an employee come up to me and say, I just had a baby not that long ago. And what is our parental leave policy? And we just didn't have anything written in stone yet. Like nothing that was, you know, official. It was kind of like, yeah, it'll happen. And when that happens, you take the time that you need. But like, what does that look like now that we're going to go from 10 people to 50 in the next year? We can't just say like, kind of do whatever you want. So, you know, that, that, on that level, it was very kind of like operational processes oriented. It was a lot of still very much being in the weeds and putting these things into place um, so that the company could continue to expand and grow. So I like to call it like the get stuff done chief of staff. And this tends to be somebody who they can be a little bit more early stage, right? It doesn't mean that just because you have 10 or 15 years of experience, you don't want to do this stuff. Some people really enjoy doing it. But I think that it is something that, you know, you can have a little bit uh, less context, let's say about the goings on of what the product is and more context around the operational parts of the business that make it tick and make it run. Once you get later stage in companies, those things are already figured out. Hopefully you never have to do that again, right? Like you have the 401k stuff, you have the operational stuff, and now you can really focus on the product and the strategy and the kind of like longevity of the company because you're no longer kind of on the day by day, just making sure that the company is running on an operational standpoint. And so I call that more of that strategic advisor, thought partner, sounding board to your your um, executive. And that just tends to come with a little bit more experience. I mean, you can't, it's very hard to be a chief of staff your first role out of school. I always like recommend against it because you just don't have the business knowledge and the business context of like what makes a good company run. You haven't seen a lot of that. And yes, you can learn it, but chances are like your opinions and your, your kind of perspectives are not going to be as strong as when you have been at a couple of different companies, you've seen how the world works a little bit more. And so that strategic advisor tends to be somebody who's a little bit later stage in their career, just by experience of life, right? It's not necessarily because, you know, they're that much smarter or like anything like that, but you just have more context on how businesses run. And so you're able to bring that to the table in a way that is much more, um, informative and impactful than let's say somebody like me, which I was still very early stage and was still trying to figure out a lot of what this looks like at a leadership level. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious, how did you, did you just fall into your chief of staff role? How did you actually go about getting that, um, getting your chief of staff role? And do you have any recommendations for people who might be looking for their, their first chief of staff role? Yeah, I think it's one of those. Um, <laughs> yeah, for me, it was one of those stories that when I look back, it feels like, oh, yeah, it was very uh, linear. But in the time that I was going through, it, it felt extremely windy. And I think this is something a lot of chiefs and staff can relate to as well as that this kind of feeling of, well, it's doing a lot of these things and 
chief of staff title just felt right. So a little background on myself, you know, my very first job out of uh, school was in technical recruiting. So I was working for a third party recruiting agency that was placing software engineers, product managers at variety of different startups, like think like early stage Bonobos or Warby Parker or Dollar Shave Club, like all of these companies that are now, you know, if not pre IPO, like very, very late stage. And I basically was going to work every day pitching software engineers on how great it would be to work at a startup that I like eventually pitched myself into go working at a startup. <laughs> I was like, this is great. Like you can be super impactful. You can have FaceTime with leadership. You can see how a business is run. And so for my next role, I was really looking at early stage companies and found myself at a very, very early stage company that was actually in the Bollywood dance fitness space. So think like Zumba, but with Bollywood music. And that was a company that was for people full time. We were training instructors on how to teach this program. And we were also building out this teacher training platform online. So it was a chance for me to really wear every single hat under the sun. I was doing marketing. I was doing sales. I was even teaching the Bollywood dance fitness class after work. Um, And so I got to work with our engineering team that was contracted to build out this platform. And it really gave me like a head, like very, like deep dive um, and kind of front row seat into how a business is run. I had no idea like all the things that happen, like I had access to bank accounts and QuickBooks and like all this stuff just by sheer nature of how small the team was working on this full time. So I was like, oh my gosh, like there's all this stuff that was happening. And by no means was I like well positioned to help make strategic decisions, but I was at least in the room listening all the time. And that gave me a lot of insight into how companies are run. From there, I moved to AngelList, which was I think series D or so by the time I joined. So a little bit later stage, but still very much startup. I worked specifically in the talent product space and I worked in operations. So I worked directly under our head of operations. And at that company, what that meant was experimenting and figuring out what are things that the product would, would want? What are things that our clients are asking for? What are things that the candidates on our platform we were working with um, were asking for and figuring out how to run kind of small scale experiments to test out these hypotheses. And if they worked out, then going to our engineering team and actually scoping that out into something that was a product feature that we could build. So way more pro- process oriented, but had this kind of sense of let's try it and see what happens. We still had that kind of small scrappy feel and it was a really great learning experience. Like I credit my manager at the time there, Lexi Luton, for really kind of giving me this sense of like, here are the kind of push and pull between strategic thinking and actually putting things into practice, right? Like here's an idea that we've come out with. How are we going to use the resources that we're given to try it out? And then if it does work, then we can take it to the next level and actually build it in. And that was very much like my first taste of like this strategic like thought processes that are going into building out product for a long term. Around my, I would say about year and a half-ish mark there, I was being told like, okay, you have to kind of pick a lane. And and it was very much, you know, you either need to go into account management more, or you can go down the sales route, but like operations isn't really a thing that we're going to continue with anymore. We're going to leave that more into that product engineering space. Our product managers are going to take on a lot of these types of smaller scale experiments. So like you kind of have to pick where you want to go. And I just didn't feel like there I wanted to do a little bit of everything still. I still wanted to stay wide. And so the CEO of the division that I was working on under at the time, 
time was starting to look for a chief of staff. And I was like, what is that? I've never heard of that. Like, I've only seen the West Wing and we've only seen that version. So like, what does that even mean? And so started to really dig into this role to see if it might be something I could take on within that specific company. Um, and was like opened up to this entire world of chief of staff stuff that I just had never experienced or thought of or even heard of before. And so, you know, I looked at things like chief of staff network and their blog. I just Googled chief of staff tech and saw what came up and just started doing a lot of reading and so figured out like, hey, this is, I think, the, the title that would work best for where I'm trying to go next. Mm -hmm. um, and I felt like I was doing a lot of that with my manager already. We were working very close in lockstep. Um, and also it was going to let me stay wide, which was, that was the really the big thing that I was, I was really missing is that how can I continue to stay wide, um, but also start to grow my career into more of those leadership and decision-making rooms because I really enjoyed being at that table and hopefully being able to eventually voice my opinions. So through um, a little bit of job hunting um, and actually using the AngelList platform itself, I was able to interview for some chief of staff roles and talk to a couple of different CEOs. And I think the role is still relatively nascent. So kind of any information that I was able to bring to the table to help better define the role made me a stronger candidate. Um, and I think a lot of the chief of staff role is continuously self-improving as well, right? Finding things that you're not strong at and how can you figure out a way to be better at them, um, whether it's reading up on it yourself, finding people that you can trust to talk through. And I think that is what kind of ultimately put me over the edge was that, yes, I didn't know a lot about natural language processing, which is the startup that I worked at, but I was willing to learn quickly and like presented a lot of different resources that I could go and dive into to get me up to speed in the right places. And I think that could translate over to any of the other functions that you're doing as a chief of staff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that you um, just like went into research mode. Um, that That's awesome. Um, yeah, I think that I agree, like the the wide part of the role, this, the generalist piece of the role um, is high, is highly attractive to me as well. Like I don't want to, I don't want to only work on one thing or specialize in one particular area. Um, so I really appreciate that you mentioned the the wide. Um, for me as well, it, it, um, it had the chief of staff role has to do with the wide breadth of projects and things that we get to work on, but also the, for me, it's also about the partnership with the principal. Um, and, you know, I, can you talk to me a little bit about your relationship with who, I, I don't know who we were supporting in your chief of staff role, who was a COO or who, or CEO, but can you talk to me a little bit about that partnership and how you went about developing um, a, a successful relationship? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I was the chief of staff to the CEO of the company. So um, at the time we started, I always say that I was either employee number seven or 10, depending on when we walked through the door that day. So we were very small. And the chief of staff role there was, it was new. They obviously hadn't existed before. And it was my principal's first time having a chief of staff. It was my first time being in the role. So there was a lot of relying on each other to kind of like figure out exactly what this role was, how we can define it together, and then what exactly the career path would look like, right? Because I think, especially at that time, it was very much, oh, the chief of staff role is like a tenure thing, 18 to 24 months, and then, you know, you're kind of expected to move on, and I was like, I'll tackle that, you know, bridge when it gets there. Um, but I would say that what I tried to do very early on was just sit in on every single meeting and and figure out what exactly it was that were the priorities of my principal? What were the things that were taking up all of his time? How did he want to spend his time? And how could I make that transition happen? Mm -hmm. um, the added wrinkle, of course, was COVID. And probably about a month after I started, um, 
the originally when we were in office, I sat right next to my principal. So it was super easy just to lean over and like say, you know, hey, hey, there's this thing I want to give you context on and just really quickly, you know, uh, babble it off and then I just kind of uh, internalize it. But with COVID happening, that was something that you just didn't have anymore. You didn't have that kind of like water cooler um, conversation. And so we had to figure out a way to figure out how to continue to build that relationship early on um, while not uh, completely overturning like the, the modes of communication we use, which we had Slack and email, but Slack was really felt um, at our company more of an urgent thing. It was like, hey, don't like really DM or Slack people unless it's really necessary. And then there were like channels where people were building, engineers were like building in public and things, but kind of that direct DM approach was was not really the culture of the company. And so I kind of had to figure out like, okay, do we do like a daily standup or is there a way that we are able to kind of debrief with each other um, and figure out what the operating cadence, you know, kind of between us was. And so, you know, we settled on like a weekly kind of uh, rosebud thorn or like what went well, what didn't go well. And that was like our big debrief, but we would have more of like a daily check-in every day to kind of just see like aligned on stuff. Like here are the things that, you know, we had said at the beginning of the week, are they still the same priorities? And actually I think the thing that really helped build the most trust was building out relationships with the rest of the executive team. So there's a three person executive team at my company. We had um, a CEO, obviously, who I worked under directly, a CTO who is in charge of the technology, and then a CSO, a chief science officer. I think that's probably not as common for most folks to know. Um, but because we are a very research heavy company, it was kind of a necessary position. He managed all the scientists that were on our team, et cetera. So, um, one instance that I really like to point to that really built up trust within the exec team was that because we were an open source library, which means we had a lot of people who were working on this quote unquote product, but they weren't really part of the company. It was kind of a community effort. Uh, we wanted to reward a lot of these members with some sort of like swag or like recognition. And that was an idea that the chief science officer had. He was like, hey, look, like we have all these people that are working and like, yes, they can get recognition online, but we'd like, really love to send them something to like, rep so that when they go out in the world people will ask them mm -hmm. and he was like okay I'm going to do this research on like t-shirts like what else should we send blah 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 and I felt like hey this is an opportunity I can step in and it is important but it's not important that he takes it on right like it's important that we get this done but his time can be better spent continuing to push the boundaries forward on this research and I can do this. Like I've done swag stuff before. Like I know how to talk to manufacturers and get the things printed. So, you know, I basically put myself volunteered for the role and said, Hey, why don't I take this off of your plate? That way you don't have to worry about the shipping logistics, which were also a nightmare during COVID. And, um, you know, we have a lot of people based in the U S you are based in the Netherlands. So like all this kind of back and forth logistics, it's going to be really difficult. So let me handle it for you. And I basically laid out the proposal. Like I have, have worked with printers in the past. I also like crowdsourced a bunch of other folks and kind of put together all the pricing and things and basically got it right up to the finish line where I was like, all you need to do is look at this, look at the design, look at the mug that we have, and you just have to say yes. And, you know, saved him, you know, how, I don't know exactly how many man hours, but a substantial amount where, you know, he didn't have to worry about that. And I think that really kind of built up the trust and credibility in a way that, show that I can get this done, right? And I can kind of insert myself into this position to take things off of people's plates and it's going to get done well and it's going to get done in the way that you feel like is going to be acceptable um, for your like uh, your presentation. And I felt like that was uh, one moment that I could really pinpoint that 
you know, the, the entire executive team was like, okay, great. Like we can trust Clara to take these things on. They might not necessarily be, you know, directly related to quote, quote, like the CEO, right? Because that was a chief science officer's idea, but there's going to be this kind of like synergy that starts to happen where we can entrust her with these things and they're going to get done well. So I always like to use that story as an example of hopefully like many times where, where things like this happen, but I, that was very early on um, during my chief of staff tenure. And I think that really helped to kind of um, steer the ship in the right direction. Yeah, that that's really cool. And, it, and just a great reminder how important um, the executive team, is, I mean, the whole team, but particularly I think the executive team or the leadership team as well, that um, really, again, as an extension of the CEO, like you're supporting them as well as if the CEO would have been supporting them and or taking on projects, like you mentioned, mm -hmm. um, off their plate so that they can go do what they do best um, and not have to worry about those other, those other things. Mm -hmm. um, out of curiosity, in that position as a chief of staff, did you, did they also have an executive assistant on staff? Um, not full time. I think that my CEO had a double assistant for a little while um, and he had been using them. They're a virtual executive assistant, yeah. mostly calendaring um, that he used a little before I joined. And I think we overlapped a little bit, but uh, no, we didn't have an executive assistant full time at all. Okay. Yeah. I was just, I was just curious um, how that, did you end up having to do this, um, do scheduling and things like that in your role? Um, there was definitely a, a bit of that, um, and, and mostly because a lot of those calls, um, my CEO wanted me to end up taking on. So um, they were client calls um, with potential clients that we were going to do projects with or partnership calls, things like that. And so he would throw me into the email thread and kind of try to find a time for all three of us to meet. And so it wasn't directly calendar management of his time, it was kind of like figuring out how all three of us could be in a room together so that eventually I took on a lot of those client calls to kind of be the first line of customer discovery and things like that. And then we eventually actually hired a director of product. And so a lot of those calls eventually shifted over to that person. But I think that just goes to show like the kind of responsibilities that get passed into a chief of staff role. And it was to the point like we were getting so much interest that it was like, okay, I think it's time for us to hire a director of product to really kind of take this to the next level because we can kind of keep doing this on an individual small scale between the two of us but I think it's time for us to really build out like a product person team and also sort of a sales team as well so a lot of that was like a transitionary flow and so I'd say yes I was doing scheduling in a sense but mm -hmm. it was mostly for the kind of responsibilities to then flow into me and then eventually the next hire yeah yeah that um it makes so much sense I've similar, similar format that I've, I've experienced and heard others experience, especially in those smaller companies. I mean, that is the, the chief of staff handles, as you know, so much, um, or in these startup more, um, in startups. And then, and then eventually it gets handed off to full positions or full teams. Um, once mm -hmm. oftentimes, once we, the chiefs of staff get it down or create a process around it and then can, you know, eventually hand it off. Absolutely. Um, curious about your thoughts that um, I often hear, and I believe too, that the chief of staff role is really this, um, you know, can serve as a strategic advisor and oftentimes needs needs to be or is tasked with being the truth teller to the principal. Um, what is your experience with that or co with coaching other chiefs of staff? And how how does one become that confident truth teller or become that confident strategic advisor to the principal? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And it's hard. It, it's very hard to do if, especially you were like somebody like myself, where you didn't have a lot of experience sort of confronting a lot of leaders. So I would say one is to like read up on a lot of this stuff. Like I think some of the key aspects of being a chief, good chief of staff are being able to manage upwards, right? So how do you like manage upwards into your principal? That's not an opportunity that a lot of people get, but I think is a way to start to learn how to deliver feedback in a way that is constructive and um, figuring out what the best way that the person that you're trying to manage receives feedback as well, right? Whether that's written or that's just direct, or if you're uncomfortable doing, you know, giving direct feedback, like figuring out a way to work on that. The other one is influencing without authority. I think that one is such a key skill set that lots of people don't realize that you need as a chief of staff. Like you think that, oh, well, because I work directly with the CEO, everybody has to listen to me, right? Like, absolutely not. If anything, people are a little bit more wary about what your position is because they might feel like, oh, well, you know, Hallie has a direct line of contact to the CEO. So anything I tell her is probably not confidential and it might get reported upwards. So I don't want to share. And so there's like this kind of fine line between how do you um, exercise like the position that you are in so that you are able to get things done but also become a trusted confidant, not only to your principal, but to the rest of the people around the organization. And so I think it starts with a very human approach, like building psychological safety around your organization is extremely important. Sharing and talking with people that are not necessarily at the executive level, like some of the strongest relationships and the ones that helped me most in my chief of staff role were actually the individual contributors who were building product and, you know, very in the know about the space that we were in because, you know, I was very upfront and said, hey, I don't really know a ton about the space. So I'm going to really need to rely on you to like explain it like I'm five. Or, you know, when I was putting together a newsletter, having people proofread it and check it and make sure that, you know, the language was right and it was actually informative and helpful. And so building those relationships with the individual contributors or managers of the company um, ended up being one of the ways that I was able to build trust very quickly. And I was able to surface their concerns in a way that felt anonymized, but um, was directly uh, directly pointed at the things that they wanted help with to the executive team. Um, COVID, right? Like that's like really the biggest thing here that I, I was dealing with in the first couple of months and figuring out, okay, how do we go from, you know, people having like two monitors in the office to now just a laptop screen at home and, you know, us people with kids or people who needed childcare support, or maybe they just had another partner who was working at home and it was really hard to ha have two people on Zoom calls. And so, you know, people were, mentioning these things to me kind of in passing, you know, just because we would have conversations on like, how are things going? How are you feeling? You know, are there family members that you're concerned about? Things like that. And I was able to kind of surface these things up to our executive team to like bring in like, okay, let's give everybody a stipend to spend on work, work from home stuff. Like let's build in a little bit of a different health and wellness benefit because people are really stressed out. And it's stuff like that, that I think starts to build up that trust and it has to happen incrementally. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to be like your CEO wakes up one day and be like, oh, I trust Claire with every single thing that, you know, I'm working on. It's never going to be like that, but kind of these small steps. And I would say, doing like a monthly or even like every quarter reflection on the types of things that you're doing now and the things that you were doing three months ago is really going to help you see how far that trust relationship has come and the things that you're privy to now that you weren't back then. 
Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I love, love how you um, emphasize, especially the, um, the psychological safety and just taking, taking the time. It's very, it's very easy to get caught up in just like yourself, your work, your principal, the, the leadership team, but really taking the time to build those relationships and listen. Um, and one of the things I, I kind of heard you mention, you didn't necessarily say the words, but to me, it sounds like there's a lot of humility and a lot of curiosity that goes into those conversations and, mm-hmm. and listening to the rest of the team and asking great questions and, um, and then, and just seeing, and seeing what comes up, seeing the patterns that come up and then you can find solutions. Um, and it's really the finding of the solutions that is then there, then building that trust. Absolutely. I think like the, the kind of term that maybe both of us are, are circling around is this idea of servant leadership, right? Is that the chief of staff role, is the ultimate um, example of servant leadership. Everything you do is in service of the rest of the company, of course, to your principal first and foremost, but absolutely to the rest of the company as well. And I think sometimes, or the rest of the organization, depending on how big your company is. But I think that's something that a lot of people tend to overlook as well, is that, um, yes, you're hired directly by your, your principal, by your executive, and that's the person that you're going to report directly up to. But your role is not as effective as it can be if you're not also thinking about the rest of the organization and how everything fits together. Yeah, that's right. Uh, what is the what question do you, what's the most common question that you get about the chief of staff role? Um, I would probably be how do I become a chief of staff? Yeah, okay. <laughs> I think that there's still a lot of like confusion around it um, and kind of like tangentially related to this, right? Are there any skill sets that I need? Should I go to MBA school? Should I get an MBA, you know, business school? Um, are there any particular like hard skills that I should have to be a chief of staff? And my short answer is always no, right? Like there's no one path to being a chief of staff. I've seen chiefs of staff be former teachers, former lawyers. Yes, ex-consultants. Yes, uh, people who have MBAs. but there's no really one tried and true path. I think it just really depends on what kind of chief of staff that you want to be, right? Um, some companies will want that kind of like more consultant background. And it's not because they want that specific name of the consultancy. It's because they want the sort of like thinking frameworks and like the kind of um, thinking processes that lead into decision-making that are super helpful. Those can all be taught. Um, I think that if you want to be an earlier stage startup chief of staff versus a later stage chief of staff, like I said, we talked a little bit about this, like one person is going to be more of that, like operationally minded process oriented, and the other is going to be more strategic advisory. So it really just depends on where you want to be a chief of staff. And that's kind of the question that I usually ask back to people who are looking for chief of staff roles, right? Why do you want to be chief of staff now? What about it is that, uh, what about it? is appealing to you in this particular junction of your career and where are you hoping to take this chief of staff role next? And I know it's kind of a weird thing to kind of think about what comes after the chief of staff role when you're looking at the next step of your career. But I think that that really helps drive the kind of chief of staff that you want to be um, and also the kinds of roles, right? There are now more, I think, principals that are looking for chief of staff who are going to stick by their side for kind of an extended amount of time, which is very different from even three or four years ago, where it was like, man, eh, you're going to be here for a year, a year, or maybe two years, and then like you, you fly the nest. And so there is a distinction between these types of roles now. And it's really important to understand yourself enough to know that which of these positions you want to step into, because if it's the wrong one, you're going to find that out very quickly. And 
the expectations of your principal and yourself are going to be completely missed. So yeah, I would say like the question I get the most is how do I become a chief of staff? Yeah. Yeah. And that knowing, um, knowing yourself, I think is so important. Um, knowing, mm-hmm. knowing, yeah, knowing yourself, knowing your behavior and knowing what you want now and in the future is so key. <laughs> Uh, what are you working on next and, and kind of what are you most excited about working on this year? Yeah, so I'm continuing to grow Ask a Chief of Staff, um, continuing to place uh, candidates who are uh, aspiring or current chief of staff with executives that make the right match. I'm also really invested in continuing to build out content for the chief of staff role. Um, I think that there's a lot of literature out there about why it's great for a, a an executive to have a chief of staff, but you know, on the other side, how do you become a successful chief of staff? You know, what are the things that you should be thinking about? Um, and what makes a chief of staff like good versus, or I would say effective versus less effective, right? And so there's a lot that I'm happy to share about my own experiences, but also just continuing to crowdsource a lot of this material. I've always said that the best people to learn how to be a chief of staff from are the people who are currently in the role, right? People who are putting out the fires every day. They are dealing with these, you know, kind of um, crazy situations of of having to fundraise in this time, in this kind of like climate or, um, trying to figure out how to scale your team with limited resources. And I think that once you step out of the chief of staff role, there's a certain amount of like, oh, that was like a previous part of my life. And I don't really remember what it was like experiencing it because it was very difficult and it was very complicated, but we kind of tend to like paint a rosy picture of the things that we've done in our past. So I think it's super important to kind of continue to talk to chiefs of staff who are in the space right now, who are serving um, principals and really try to get all that information out of them so that we can preserve it and continue to amplify this role and what it can do for for executives down the line. So um, content is always a big part of the work that I do, you know, I run bi-weekly workshops on different things um, of, it, that are involved with the chief of staff role, like OKR planning is always a big one, strategic planning, but even um, things like how to best rewrite your resume for a chief of staff role. So all of those are on the docket and hoping to do more speaking engagements like this with um, more podcasts and more panels and, and things like that. That's awesome. So exciting. And I love um, all of the content that you put out. So please keep doing that because I certainly <laughs> go back and, and, and read it often. And of course, recommend it to a lot of people because I do think it's so, uh, well, one, it's something I wish I had like 10 years ago when I was exploring the chief of staff role, when I was like looking at government documents to try to figure out like what the heck the role was. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's obviously, it's still so needed. And um, and I just appreciate the, the thought and the intention behind the content that you put together um, by getting those stories from today's chiefs of staff and, and how it applies mm-hmm. today and how it's going to evolve um, over the next couple of years. Um, where can our community or people on the call, and this is obviously going to be shared with other, with other people as well, where can um, they f- uh, connect with you to learn more or where's the best place to go? Yeah, definitely connect with me on LinkedIn. That's the only social media I have. So (laughs) it's the only place that I really exist on the internet nowadays. So feel free to connect with me. I'm always happy to connect with anybody who's just even interested in the chief of staff role. And I'll post my newsletter there as well. You can go to askachiefofstaff.substack.com if you want to subscribe directly. Uh, New issues of the newsletter go out every two weeks. So you can look for that. And it'll have a combination of whatever topic I'm exploring that week as well as a couple of job postings that I'm working on. So it's a great place to just kind of keep abreast of all of the chief of staff news that's going on. So yeah, check those two out. 
Yeah. Awesome. And we'll make sure we add those links um, as well. Thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with me today and answer all of my chief of staff related questions. I, I so appreciate of it. Of course. Absolutely. It was so great to chat with you. And thank you everyone who's listening to this in the future or in, in the meantime. And I'm looking forward to continuing to connect with all of you and learn even more about the chief of staff role. Awesome. Thanks so much, Clara.